Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, just a, a greeting from me, uh, first Sunday back uh, in this year of 2023, a particular verse that uh, God laid on my heart this week from Psalm 4, uh, verse 6, and it's a prayer, and I think this is a prayer for us, I believe, a prayer that we can pray, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. That's what we need, certainly what I would like. Uh, to know more of the light and the very nature and goodness and grace of God among us. So God bless you and, and guide you, and may this year be a, a blessed year in your walk with Him. But this morning I do invite you to turn to Mark chapter 7. So over the next three weeks I'm going to be tackling this chapter, God willing, uh, in Mark chapter 7, not the entire chapter, just the first 23 verses, and uh, just looking to the Lord, what is it that uh, He's saying to us, and to us as individuals, but also to us as a church. So follow with me then, and uh, I'm going to read the entire 23 verses, but only tackle some of the verses in the message today. So now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? 
Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So just so far, uh, God's word read to us today. Lord, we turn to this scripture this morning. We pray that you would enable us to receive it with the eyes of faith as your spirit works within us, enabling us to respond in ways that would be pleasing to you. May we as individuals, may we as a church grow in our love for you. Lord, in our walk uh, with you as you sanctify us more and more, we pray. Amen. Well, I thought this morning I'd introduce this particular message by referring to prophecy. So prophecy is one of the wonderful gifts uh, given to us from God in the scriptures. Many, many prophecies recorded in the Bible. A well-known instance of prophecy, we've just come through Christmas and perhaps where you were uh, at Christmas time or perhaps even in your own uh, devotional time, you would have remembered the, uh, the word of prophecy spoken by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And we celebrate, we did celebrate, we continue to remember the advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course we have much more uh, in the Old Testament said in terms of prophecy regarding the life and, and the death and, and the work of Jesus. And, and written centuries before, we've got to understand that, prophecy written centuries before the actual event, the actual unfolding of uh, the, that which is said. We rejoice many times at the hill this morning. We had a communion service and at services like that, we often remember the prophetic word in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the atoning work of Jesus. But I want us to think a little bit about the nature of prophecy as we tackle this passage this morning. Something to be aware of when we consider different prophecies. There are times when prophecy is specific. I'm sure you can think of instances that come to your mind. I've mentioned some already regarding Jesus. But also another example would be, did you know that the exile of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, was prophesied uh, in terms of them going into captivity for 70 years before the event. There was a specific prophecy made. We have many prophecies, as I've mentioned, regarding the coming of Jesus and the work he would do. But what we need to recognize is that there are also times when prophecy can be repeated again and again. Or perhaps I should put that differently. The prophecy can be fulfilled repeatedly, again and again. And we come to one of those prophecies uh, this morning. Conversation, yes, yeah, some religious leaders uh, with Jesus. 
and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, some eight centuries before this particular day, this particular event. And, and, and Jesus raises this prophecy as being true of those religious leaders, true of these scribes and, and Pharisees. And we read in verse 6, he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So this morning, while it is true that Isaiah prophesied this to be true of those religious leaders on that specific day in that particular season, the point I'm trying to make is that many other, many other religious, professing religious men and women down through the ages would also have fulfilled that particular prophecy. It would be true of them. And, and so the scary reality is it may be true of you and me. That's what I want us to consider this morning. Is this prophecy regarding these condition, the spiritual condition of these religious leaders, is it possibly true of you and me as we embark on another year in 2023. You see, at the beginning of the year, and, and it may be good practice to compile lists of New Year's resolutions, but I've seen in my own life, I've seen in the lives of others, that, that normally New Year's resolutions fizzle. A couple of weeks, a couple of months into the year, and that which was undertaken, that which was resolved has long been forgotten and, and no longer uh, in the uppermost thinking of our minds. And so instead of focusing on resolutions today, I have been burdened to share a message that will identify some of the spiritual pitfalls there are some very serious, in fact, even very fatal spiritual pitfalls to look out for as we navigate this next year ahead of us. In fact, our lives before us. Now, there are three the, the spiritual pitfalls to avoid uh, that I've identified that we'll be dealing with, God willing, is the state of your heart. Just thinking about your spiritual heart condition. Then next week, God willing, I want to talk about uh, the source of authority. What is it that guides and directs you in your walk with God? And then, God willing, in the third week, we're going to be looking at the sin that needs a solution. Now, each of those issues are related. So if I miss something, you think I'm neglecting something in the passage, don't worry, next week is coming. And the following week is coming. But the three issues are interrelated, they're connected, but simply because of time, I'm going to tackle each one separately uh, in these messages. But this morning, we're going to address the first fatal, and it is fatal, it's tragic, the first fatal spiritual pitfall, the state of your heart. I do want you to think, and I certainly uh, have been thinking already about my own spiritual heart condition. Let us this morning consider the state of our spiritual condition before God. And so to do that, looking at this passage, my first point this morning, 
I want to show you it is possible to be sincere but mistaken. We very often think as long as there is sincerity, all is well. That's not true. We will see in this passage this accusation from the Pharisees concerning the unclean practices of Jesus' disciples. They were sincerely convinced. These Pharisees were, 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 were of the opinion that they were absolutely convicted and convinced and they were putting effort in going about doing these things, believing that this would bring them into a good standing with God. The concern had a history. The concern for purity or cleanness uh, can be traced back to the Old Testament command in Exodus chapter 30 verse 19 where the commandment from God is that the priests, those that means Aaron and his sons, were to wash their hands and their feet in the bronze basin before entering the tent of meeting. So, so there's a history. There's something that they'd been taught and so the priests back then could only approach the holy God, their holy God, having purified themselves in preparation for their duty in the tent of meeting. But as time unfolds, this was a priestly ceremonial requirement. Uh, some pious Jews took this on and began also washing their hands and washing their feet, them getting involved in ritualistic cleaning and, and purification. And, and again, as time progressed, as things went on, that then grew to be a requirement of the religious hierarchy, of the establishment of, of all the leaders. They were wanting all those who wanted to be right before God to do the same thing, to have access to God. And so that's the issue they, they bring to the disciples, to, to Jesus. And, and the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat, notice, unless they wash their hands, holding on to the tradition of elders, listening to that which had been passed on to them from the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. You see how this thing grew, how it, how, how it got uh, elaborated on? There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So what's going on? What is it that we need to see? You see, an original commandment, directive from God to the priests in a particular context, grew to become a universal requirement, a rule from the elders to all the Jews everywhere. Jesus states it explicitly in, in verse 8, and in, 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 in he tells them, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the traditions of men. In doing so, they have remained sincerely religious, but they've now stepped outside of the realm of vibrant authentic faith. Now just to demonstrate to you, looking further afield, in another passage where Jesus speaks to the, the extent of their sincerity, uh, speaking about their passion, Matthew chapter 23 verse 15, warning them 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, what are they doing? What is Jesus laying before them? He says, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Man, you are so committed to your cause. In our terminology, they would, we would say that, that they had a vibrant missions ministry in the local synagogue in Jerusalem. But then Jesus adds the tragic results of their so-called zealous missionary work. Those that they reach. And when he becomes a proselyte, a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus responds to these Pharisees. He is concerned about their misdirected sincerity for cleanness. And he goes on and he points out their problem. He says to them in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. They play actors. They phonies. There isn't sincerity of heart. In our context, I've often heard the phrase, uh, the use of the phrase, people speaking of uh, the danger of wearing a religious mask. That's, that's all they were doing. They were wearing a religious mask, outwardly portraying to be something and someone, not actually representing that which was going on inside of their very being and hearts. What makes it even more tragic is that the spiritual state that they're in plunges them or leads them into being deluded, convinced that they were right, convinced that they were okay in their standing with God, and that Jesus and his disciples were in the wrong. Now, is the application for us? Of course, there's a challenge. There's a huge challenge for any one of us, myself standing in this pulpit as a preacher, but any one of us who claim to be a believer, we who label ourselves as Christians can at times be sincere, be active, going about in zeal, doing certain things, going through certain rituals and routines, but in vain. You and I can be sincerely going through times of prayer. We can be sincerely even acknowledging the presence and existence of God. We can participate in receiving the Lord's Supper. We can be baptized. We can be part of a local membership. We can be actively busy doing a host of different things. It is possible in that condition, in sincerity, to be mistaken. Jesus identifies, as we move on in this passage, the specific cause of the hypocrisy. And by so doing, I believe he helps us answer the question, which is my next point. How do you know? How do I know if I'm a hypocrite? Have you ever thought of yourself as a hypocrite? What does Jesus have to say? Well, he quotes Isaiah, the words of Isaiah, and he describes the error of their ways. Verse 6, as it is written, these people honor me, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
Folk, isn't it true? Isn't it true? We get into routines. We get into certain habits. We identify ourselves in certain ways. But so often we we slip very gently, sometimes slowly, sometimes in a very rapid way, into a place where our hearts are far from God. And so like these men, we, we have to ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves, yes, I, I may spend, you may spend time and thought and effort and have good habits, and, and you're careful to say the, the right thing and the expected thing to God and even to other people. But what is the condition of your heart before God? You see, you know you're being a hypocrite when you say and do things that do not come from a tender heart for God. It is possible to preach. I want to confess to you this morning the reality. I've been in the ministry long enough to know that there are seasons. There are times of hardship. I have an iPad full of sermons. I can pick up a sermon. I can go through that sermon in 15 and 20 minutes and preach it. And it can come from a heart that is distant from God. You won't even know it. Any one of us. Whether it be preaching in eloquence. Whether it is a preoccupation or zeal in Maintaining the outward form of saying the appropriate things at services, at committee meetings, at church meetings, even from the pulpit or in the context of the family, and still be a hypocrite. We can have the best worshiping song. Matt Redman learned that lesson. We can do these things, folk, until we're blue in the face. But if we do not have hearts that are tender for God, we are no better off than these deluded Pharisees, these religious leaders that we read about in this passage. And so the point is mere lip service from anyone, including religious people who are far from God, is hypocrisy. There needs to be a match between that which is said and the condition of the heart. And so thirdly, this morning I want to apply this message and ask the question, do you honor God from your heart? Do I honor God from my heart? And there are a couple of things I want to take us through as we consider this question in a practical way. There is a, a conviction that you need to have that I need to have if we are serious about dealing with the state of our heart. And the, the condition is that there is no place to hide the state of your heart from God. We can pretend with each other. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't that so? We, we can do that. We, we, we can convince each other, sometimes even convincing ourselves. But what we need to understand is what David understood in Psalm 139, where he affirms, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And he knows you. And he knows me. 
pretense with each other, yes, happens, can happen. We can hide what really is going on from one another. We cannot hide from God. Just listen again to David as he expresses this affirmation of the omniscience of God. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and, and, and are acquainted with all my ways. Now, you can put your own words in that. Lord, you know my frustration in the traffic. You know what I'm like with my family when no one else is around. You know, Lord, what I'm like when I'm on my own and, and there's nobody looking in over my shoulder. Lord, you know my thoughts. You know them before I even have thought them. And, and David continues, do you see the conviction, this necessary conviction? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And then he goes on and he speaks uh, about uh, other aspects of the nature of God. But then he ends. He ends the psalm with an approach that I want to commend to us here this morning. An approach that we need to adopt if we are ever to avoid this fatal spiritual pitfall of hardness of heart. He, he ends the psalm in verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Are you willing to do that? God knows you. He knows me completely. There's no hiding from God. And so as we move on to the next step here, it makes complete sense then to have an approach where you give more attention to honest self-awareness. I've been chatting with those around me about this issue of self-awareness. Not only in terms of the particular gifts that we may or may not have, but as I prepared this message, it came to my mind that there needs to be a greater, honest, soul-searching leading to a truthfulness about where I stand with God, where you stand with God. You see, to neglect the regular practice of calling on God to search your heart, avoiding honest self-awareness, will lead to you being far from God. It's going to happen. Sin will creep in. Uh, sin, in all of its expressions, is the cause of distance from God. Uh, unresolved sin is the wedge. It, 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 it separates. It, it brings about that relational distance from God. Sometimes sin is blatant and obvious, and, and, and in our kind of circles, we, we recognize that, and, and we know that, and most of the time we see it. But in our kind of circles, I'm concerned this morning about sin that is subtle. I saw a book uh, recently. I haven't read the book, but I saw the title, Respectable Sins. I think that's what we as professing believers are normally more guilty of. 
the neglect of our relationship with God, uh, pride and self-righteousness and, and hypocrisy. And so, so these subtle sins are hard to detect. I, I don't think it's easy, but, but, but we can detect them and, and, and they can be seen in a heart that is far from God. And, and I, I've come to conclusion, and I bring this to you this morning, it shows itself in two ways. Self-promotion and criticism of others. You see, when I'm less concerned and, and not focused on my own standing and condition before God, I, I distract myself by looking at others and I polish my own crown. That's what we do. It leads to what Jesus said about self-awareness and, 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 and what is so desperately needed in all of us, any one of us. In Matthew chapter 7, this is what he challenged his disciples on, on, on the audience before him. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out your own eye and you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own brother's eye. You see, honest self-awareness of blatant and subtle sin will always lead to a place of humility. Guaranteed. Recognition of need or in the words of Jesus, being poor in spirit. Understanding who you are in the light of who God is. And therefore a growing appreciation for the atoning work of Jesus. Knowing your best. Folk, your best and my best is like filthy rags before a holy God. Can I remind you this morning that honest self-awareness was something the Apostle Paul faced even as the so-called great apostle. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not full stop. Of course we rejoice in that reality. We appreciate that reality. We appropriate that reality. But he continues. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So I've appreciated over the years mentors, even here at Central Baptist Church. We had an elder here many years ago. He became a good friend and mentor by the name of Roy Fredrickson. And I was complaining uh, to Roy on an occasion because of certain criticism that had been directed toward me and I was sitting with him and we were chatting and I was feeling sorry for myself and Roy in his very direct and honest manner said to me what are you complaining about? He said if people really knew what you were like it would be far worse. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We, any one of us perfect? No. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so let me examine, let me be more aware. May you be aware, be self-aware of, of your sin, the subtle sin, the blatant sin. And appreciate the atoning work of Jesus. And so I do ask the question, what is the state of your heart today? 
It brings me to the next step. Regular confession or regular, regular confession and repentance is good for the soul. There's no need to pretend. Your reputation, my reputation amongst men, yes, it has its place, but it's second to our standing and relationship with God. I would urge you this year, keep short accounts with God. Wonderful scriptures, and many can be quoted, but I'll quote you two of my favorites in this regard. 1 John 2 verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. No need to pretend. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that wonderful provision? 1 John 1 verse 9 is another favorite. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. One last point before I conclude. Be aware of the danger that lies ahead even this year regarding the state of your heart. Whether you're a leader, a pastor, long-standing Christian, or a new believer. I chose to use this word pitfall for a good reason. Looked at various definitions of words. The definition of a pitfall is this. A hidden or not easily recognized danger or difficulty. Those are going to come along this year. And so we need to recognize the pitfalls. The pitfalls that are deep holes, as it were. Literally, we could speak of it as a deep hole in the ground covered over the top, leaving the unsuspected traveler vulnerable to become a victim of being hurt or even killed. And then yesterday I was driving along, some of us visited with some folk down Gasfontein Road, if you know Pretoria East, and I was driving down very leisurely on my own, and I was listening to a podcast. Relaxed, 100 kilometers an hour, when you get beyond Solomon Mushlangu, Gasfontein Road actually gets better. And so I was relaxed, wasn't really diligent and observing, and then I eventually got to the turn off to where we were going, where I was going. And I had to make a decision. And this message that I was going to preach this morning came to my mind. You and I have to make a choice. Like I had to make a choice when I made that uh, turn uh, from Gasfontein Road. Gasfontein Road was smooth and easy and I could be relaxed. The road we turned onto was a nightmare. It was filled with not one pothole or ten potholes, Hundred potholes more. And, and so the decision is this. Do I just put my foot on the accelerator and blunder on carelessly and end up having to replace the suspension of my car and tires? Or do I recognize there are pitfalls, there are potholes that are a risk to me? And spiritually, we need to recognize that. These Pharisees did not see it. They fell victim to the spiritual fatal pitfall of neglecting to be diligent, neglecting to care 
for the state of their hearts, ending up being far from God. Now, folk, there may be some today, maybe you feel that you're distant from God. None of us is immune. There is a way back that I've sought to share with you today. But I do want to conclude with a question. What would Jesus say about you if you were to encounter him in a conversation today, later this year? Will he quote Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah? This person honors me with her lips. This person honors me with his lips. But their hearts are far from me. Now surely that's not what we want. Another year ahead of us. Another chapter, another opportunity. Tremendous privilege that we have as children of God. I want to urge you today to walk in such a way so as to avoid drifting far from God. My own desire, and I'm grateful to a season in my life where I was taught and as a congregation sang many meaningful hymns. And I'm going to close with this hymn, which I am urging us, you, to think about, make it the desire, the longing that is expressed in this particular Song, hymn written by Fanny Crosby. She affirms in the beginning, I'm thine, O Lord, I've heard thy voice, and he told thy love to me. In other words, uh, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. She recognized that, she realized that. But, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. The chorus goes, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding sight. Get the sentiment? Beautiful hymn, consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. By thy power and grace divine, let my soul look up with steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. I love the third verse. I hope this is your experience coming to corporate worship. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross that narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. You make that your longing this year? Indeed, Lord, we pray in conclusion today that you would indeed draw us nearer. Thank you again for the work of Jesus on our behalf. Thank you for that penal substitutionary atonement, big words, but Lord, you taking our place on that cross, receiving in your body the punishment for our sin. You, Lord, giving to us who receive this gift the blessing and credit of a right standing with you, not guilty, 
And yet, Lord, we have this road of sanctification to walk. And so lead us, we pray. I pray for those this morning, Lord, who are feeling distant, hearts having grown cold and hard. Lord, your word is like a hammer and fire. And so we look to you to use that word by your spirit this morning, breaking each one of us, Lord, even the hard spots that remain, giving us a tenderness for you, a love for you, loving you with heart and soul and mind and strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.